the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. Welcome to The George Show. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in once again for George Brockler. Listeners to the show may have noticed his voice was a little shakier on Tuesday. He's been a little under the weather, so I'm happy to sit in once again for good old George Brockler. News Talk 710-KNUS. Great to be with you today. Once again, with so much to talk about and some great guests to conversate with, but nobody better than you at 303-696-1971. That is our telephone number if you want to join in to the festivities. You can also text into the show on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. And by all means, please do tweet at me. I'm in the Twitterverse. At Sang Center, that's saying with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. And then there's a couple ways you can email yours truly directly. One is going to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page at 710knus.com and shooting me an email from there. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show Saturday mornings from 6 to 9 right here on 710KNUS. And you can also message me via my website, jimmysangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is E-Z. Again, the telephone number, of course, 303 303- 696-1971. Just this week, on Tuesday, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to establish a select committee to assess, as Politico summarizes it, the myriad military, economic, and technical te- technological challenges posed by China, kicking off an effort that was a major pillar of the Republican National Security Agenda. Lawmakers voted 365 to 65, pretty darn bipartisan there, to set up the panel, which will be chaired by Wisconsin Representative Mike Gallagher, a steadfast China hawk. We will be joined by none other than Gordon G. Chang as our first guest in the next segment to get his thoughts on what's happening with this China Select Committee, what they should focus on, and some of the issues right now going on relative to the Chinese Communist Party. This is a very important topic and issue. Gordon G. Chang always has fascinating insights. He's the author of several different books on China as well as North Korea and as a columnist for the Daily Beast who's written for numerous publications. We'll be getting his insights coming up here in just a little bit. Then the top of the next hour, how often do you hear that a city, especially a big city, has rolled back a tax? That's exactly 
exactly what we saw in Aurora on Monday night when the city council with Mayor Mike Kaufman breaking the tie voted to eliminate their occupational privilege tax because it was such a privilege. Such a privilege to work in Aurora, right? Well, they got rid of the occupational privilege tax, eliminating it in the city of Aurora. And we will speak with the tie-breaking voter himself, Mayor Mike Kaufman, at the top of the hour to field his thoughts on this. Why, especially as a former longtime small business owner prior to getting into politics and once he started getting into politics at the legislature, I should say, what his perspective is on why that's important, especially now when the costs of everything seem to be rising. Mayor Kaufman will join us just after 7 o'clock here on the program. Then, I know George touched on it a bit the other day. I haven't had a chance, really, to sink my teeth into it. But there's an extreme radical gun control bill that has been proposed already in the state legislature. They're not wasting any time on it. Elizabeth Epps, a radical far-left Democratic socialist, has introduced the bill, which would ban so many kinds of guns. Think mm, most And probably require confiscation. I mean, just how flagrantly unconstitutional is this? We will break that down and more with David Kopel of the Independence Institute coming up at about 9 o'clock and get his expert insights over there. Because this is such a catastrophic bill to be proposed and really shows the mindset of some Democrats and how extreme they really are on the issues of gun control and gun rights. That is to say, our constitutionally protected natural right to keep and bear arms. We'll dive into that with David Kopel. So coming up on the program, Gordon G. Chang, Mayor Mike Kaufman and David Kopel all joining us here this morning. Plus, again, you at 303-696-1971. That is our telephone number, 303-696-1971. We will also later on in the show talk a little bit about Jeff Beck. Um, I have a couple of little personal stories related to him as far as my first concert that I ever saw and so forth. We will get to that a little bit coming up in the 7 o'clock hour as well after speaking with Mayor Mike Kaufman. But first, Biden's legal team found another batch of classified documents in search of a second location. And even more significantly, the media is asking about it. The media is pushing back. The media is wondering whether there will be more that will turn up and what the explanations are, what's going on, more classified documents. Heck, let's go from CNN. President Joe Biden's legal team found another batch of classified government records following the initial discovery of classified documents at his former think tank office in Washington this past fall. People briefed on the matter told CNN Wednesday. 
Searches for additional documents took place after Biden's lawyers found the initial classified documents in early November, the people said. One of the sources told CNN that that effort led to the discovery of additional documents of interest to federal officials reviewing the matter. NBC News first reported the new batch of classified documents. The discovery of the classified documents in his former office in November set off alarm bells inside the White House, where only a small circle of advisors and lawyers were aware of the matter. An effort was launched to search other locations where documents from Biden's time as vice president may have been stored. Now, I haven't seen, if we know, it doesn't appear that we do, where the second tranche of documents was found. We don't know much as far as the specific details, unless I've missed something. I don't think we know the number of documents in the second batch, only that it has been confirmed that another batch of classified documents were found at a second location, not at the same office at the University of Pennsylvania, where the first batch came from. Now, this has raised a lot of questions that literally being are being asked by the media and sometimes getting contentious with Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. Here's an example of, I think, uh, Ed O'Keefe, is he with uh, CBS News or uh, the Washington Post. I think he used to be with one of them. Uh, Yes, CBS News. He used to be with the Washington Post. And things got a little bit contentious when he pressed her. Take a listen to this. On like day two of this administration, when he swore all of you in, the president said, quote, I'm going to make mistakes. When I make them, I'll acknowledge them and I'll tell you. And I'll need your help to help me correct them. So you're the one here. Yeah, talking to us about this. That's why we're asking you. So let's just remember that. And I'm. We don't need. We don't need to have this. We work very well together. We do. I don't. We don't need to have this kind of confrontation. Ask your question, and I will answer well, them the best the that reason, I can. Part of the reason we're laying that out is because you're laying out your part of the job. We're I know. Laying out our part of the job, I know, but I'm just saying question. that we don't need we to have contention. We, we don't need to be contentious with me here, Ed. The president was asked yesterday, but did not answer this part of the question. Why didn't he or someone in the White House inform the American people when these documents were discovered on November 2nd? Did it have anything to do, because people are asking this part of it, did it have anything to do with the fact that the election was just a few days away? Again, Ed, this is under review by the Department of Justice. It is literally under review right now. As we are, as as I as I am talking to you, it is under review. So I'm not going to uh, get beyond the process. I'm not going to get beyond what the president said. Whoa! That was pretty rare normally you just hear steve ducey uh or peter ducey rather over at fox news going toe-to-toe with corinne jean pierre the white house press secretary but there you had ed o'keefe of cbs news tussling with her a bit particularly on why they only found out see here's the thing though the media doesn't like being in the dark on certain stories, they would rather be in on it, I would think, if they want to have it sort of covered up for whatever reason, or they want to expose it because it can be good fodder for them to work with. 
So it's understandable why they would get frustrated. Well, the questions kept coming. As at yesterday's press conference, Jean-Pierre couldn't even say as well if there were any other documents improperly stored. Now, it seems like they don't know how many documents and where they were stored. There are no assurances you can provide at this point that there are no other classified documents out there in any other office and or home. Again, this is an ongoing process, so I'm going to let the process uh, continue. It is being reviewed by the Department of Justice, and I'm just going to leave it there. So this is this is striking because... We have a second batch that was found by Biden's lawyers. We don't know details about how many documents were recovered, at least to my knowledge. And we don't know where that location was. It begs one to ask further, where are additional documents? Can they be found? Could they be in other locations? Well, it's not... It's not a real hard jump to go from where we are now to, yes, there are a couple other locations with them. Now, of course, there are national security concerns that come from classified documents. Now, we hear a lot about President Trump and there are issues relative to cooperation with the FBI and subpoenas and all of that at Mar-a-Lago. There are distinct differences, of course, in the two cases. Let's just acknowledge that right now. That's beside the point when it comes to how many places are there with these classified documents? How well secured are they? How vulnerable could they be? What contents could those entail? Those questions should be asked of President Biden, not just former President Trump. What did Biden do with these documents from when he was vice president of the United States? How many classified documents are out there? What was the basis for that? And even more, Will, as Lindsey Graham and others have been asking, will Merrick Garland appoint a special counsel now to look into the Biden documents or at least a special master so that you have a little bit of a of a distance Because that's supposedly the objective, right? You want to remove politics from it so you don't have Garland himself directly overseeing the Trump investigation. Why not do something similar with the investigation into Joe Biden's documents, classified documents? It goes even further with Corrine Jean-Pierre. Because there's also questions about why lawyers for Biden were rifling through his closets at his private office. Can I just ask if you have any information about why the president's personal attorneys were at the Penn Biden Center in the first place? Were they looking for something specific? Was there something specific they were doing going through these documents? It just seems like to send, if it was just routine moving stuff to send a personal attorney to do I, that I would well. refer you to the White House counsel's uh, very extensive um, uh, uh, kind of information on, on Monday that they provided. Uh, so I refer you to that. You know, in fairness, I do think she kind of has to do that because this is a legal issue that isn't a White House matter per se. This is a matter of Biden. But being able to have some sort of a concrete answer to provide would be at least just a little bit better. Now, what's 
questionable is what Biden knew in terms of these documents. How many documents, classified documents, was he aware were in his possession post-vice presidency? Apparently, he was really surprised about these classified documents being at the University of Pennsylvania in the first place. With he, his lawyers did the right... Again, again, again. He, did, he was right surprised thing? that the records were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the, that the records were there. Very surprised. And, of course, here is some of what Biden said a few days ago in Mexico. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon, and uh, there will be more detail at that time. Well, we have more details that we're learning here and there, like another batch. Now, it will be something to see what unfolds from here, but the politics are looking better and better for Republicans. The optics are. And it isn't looking too good for Biden, at least to some extent. We'll pick up the conversation on this topic later on in the program, but I wanted to get a full update right to start things off. And a couple hours, we'll come back to the topic of Biden's classified documents. Listener text, can you imagine how many classified documents Obama has at his various offices around America? Who knows? Who knows for all former presidents, Trump, Biden as former vice president, other former vice president, uh, Obama, Clinton, probably not much from Carter. I don't know. But we got to run to a break because Gordon G. Chang is warming up in a bullpen. We'll check in with the author of several books on China and North Korea to dive into this new select committee on China that the U.S. House just voted to create for this current Congress. Keep it right here. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler. We are just getting started here on Denver's local talk leader news talk 710 KNUS. Good morning. Welcome back. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler today. News Talk 710-KNUS. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. Well, we have received word in the last couple of days that the U.S. House has already embarked on something that Republicans promised they would do right after taking office. Politico reporting a couple of days ago that the U.S. House voted to establish a select committee to assess the myriad military, economic, and technological challenges posed by China, kicking off an effort that was a major pillar of the Republican national security agenda. Lawmakers voted 365 to 65 to set up that panel which will be chaired by Wisconsin Representative Mike Gallagher, a steadfast China hawk. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy hailed the establishment of the panel. The resolution creating the committee was the second measure the Republican-led House passed, and McCarthy promised the new panel will help, quote, win this economic competition with Beijing after winning the Speaker's gavel 
last week. Of course, there are issues ranging from Taiwan and the security situation in the Taiwanese Strait, the relationship between the U.S. and Japan vis-a-vis China, what the Chinese military is doing, and so many other issues in addition to that economic point. What should this new select committee regarding the Chinese Communist Party do and focus on at this point in time. Gordon G. Chang is the author of several books, including most recently The Great U.S.-China Tech War, as well as several books on North Korea and South Korea. He is a columnist for The Daily Beast and numerous publications where he has written op-eds and appears on various cable news networks, including the Fox News Channel. And I've had the great pleasure of inter- of interviewing Gordon Chang, who you could follow on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang, for the past several years. Always a pleasure to welcome him. Gordon, good morning, Happy New Year, and welcome. Well, Happy New Year, Jimmy, and thank you so much. It's good to be with you, as always. So let me just sort of get your big-picture reaction. It was the second piece of legislation, so to speak, a resolution that the House passed. It was broad bipartisan support, 65 dissenters, but pretty darn good in a Congress like this. What do you make of the establishment of this select committee on China? Well, first of all, it's a good thing that they're focusing on China, which is a much bigger threat than any other state or any other group of actors. Um, The important thing here is time. We've had all of these recommendations from the uh, Congressional Executive China uh, Commission, as well as the uh, U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission. Um, so we know what to do. Um, it's just a question of time, because it is of the essence. Uh, I don't know why 65 uh, members of the Congress would vote against this, <laughs> and that's a big issue. But the point is, it looks like it does have bipartisan support And I hope that Mike Gallagher um, obtains that support and moves fast. Yeah, one thing that you definitely want in a committee like this is not just a soapbox opportunity, right? You want them to actually be talking substantively and putting forward legislation from the committee that can actually take action and hopefully things that will have support over in the United States Senate as well. Yes. Well, you know, there's certain things that should go through pretty quickly. So, for instance, um, reporting requirements. There is so much Chinese money flowing into the U.S. Um, Much of it is unreported, even though there is federal legislation on this, but we can tighten those rules. So, for instance, money that goes to colleges and universities, they only have to report it from a foreign source if it's $250,000 or more. That threshold should come down to very, very low uh, number. Um, but also, I think that essentially we're seeing um, China move not only against its neighbors, but against the U.S. This is time for um, the committee to start cutting the flow of money to China, because China, China can only threaten us with our cash. And so this should be a simple thing. We also have these police stations that the Chinese have established in the U.S., um, I think the committee can do a lot to make sure the FBI investigates these and moves fast. You say police stations established in the United States. What is that about? Well, in Chinatown and in other locations throughout the U.S., uh, various organizations in China have established locations. Um, The uh, Chinese embassy in the U.S. says that they're only to help Chinese citizens get driver's license and things. 
Well, even that is objectionable because they need to have a consulate to do that. But Chinese media um, in China actually talks about these locations providing police functions, investigative functions, and so um, that clearly is a violation of American sovereignty. We've permitted this for far too long. This is our country. Um, I think that the select committee can, um, you know, when they look at the FBI's budget, can talk about where their priorities should be and direct the administration to the extent that mm. they can under our separation of powers to close these locations immediately. Wow, that's deeply disturbing. Let's talk about Taiwan. As you know, uh, back in October, I visited Taiwan for a little over a week as part of an international press tour, a fascinating experience, and a Q&A with the uh, ambassador, or rather the uh, minister, um, the foreign minister there. And it was definitely... Uh, very informative for me to be sure, but one thing that I learned is how significant the relationship really is between the United States and Taiwan and how fundamental it is to security in the region and to keeping China's militaristic ambitions in check. What do you hope this committee does in regards to Taiwan, Gordon G. Chang? Well, I would like to see them um, mandate higher level relations with Taiwan. Um, but the most important thing that the Republicans in Congress can do is actually send a guy named Kevin McCarthy to Taiwan on a visit. Mm-hmm. Um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi went last August. That was important um, because it showed American commitment. Yes, the Chinese huffed and puffed, but eventually they didn't do anything. Um, so I think that uh, the Chinese need to see that the Republicans are as committed to Taiwan's defense. And the best way to do that would be for the speaker to make a visit. So now that's, of course, independent of the, the committee, but not entirely in so far as if you establish a select committee as step one and then within weeks or months have the speaker of the House visit Taiwan as a step two that really would send quite a message to China, wouldn't it? It would. And, you know, we've got to remember also that in the Senate, Taiwan has a lot of support, yes. especially because uh, one of my senators, um, Bob Menendez, uh, chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, is a big Taiwan supporter, and he has been backing Taiwan legislation. So I hope that there is coordination between um, Senator Menendez's office and Senator Gallagher and, and Representative Gallagher's. And and I think that that is practical right now because they both have the same objective when it comes to Taiwan. What should this select committee be examining as far as U.S. military preparedness in relationship to China, Gordon? Well, um, there's a big issue um, because the Pentagon wants uh, weapons of the future. And in the present, they are um, hoping to retire cruisers, uh, F-22s, the most sophisticated fighter in the world and do other things, which I think is really um, misguided. Because if China poses a threat to us, which it does, that threat is immediate, and we need to be able to meet it now. Our stores of ammunition are low. Our bases in the region are not hardened. Um, We need to do much more, um, and especially work much more closely with our friends and allies, South Korea and Japan, Um, Even the Philippines, I think, is starting to understand the danger China poses and is moving much closer to the U.S., despite a lot of rhetoric from the previous president, Rodrigo Duterte. 
So we are, are moving in the right direction. The issue is speed, and I hope that the select committee just tells the Pentagon, start buying a lot more um, weapons because you're going to very well need them now, if not to use them, at least for deterrent purposes. Uh, just one other question on the, the specific items uh, as far as focus for this committee, Gordon G. Chang, our guest. Uh, is there anything else that you think they should really be driving home in the course of their work in the coming weeks, months, and really the next couple of years? Um, one item would be, for instance, um, legislation cutting technical assistance to China, especially um, in the biotechnology area. There is reporting in the last couple of days that the Biden administration, which is considering um, bans on investments, is probably going to take biotechnology away out of the ban, um, which I think would be the wrong move. Um, we know that uh, the National Institutes of Health, specifically Dr. Fauci's unit, yes. um, funded um, the Wuhan Institute of Virology indirectly through that NGO in New York, Echo Health Alliance. Dr. Fauci doesn't want to talk about it, but clearly what he tried to do was to evade a 2014 ban on federal funding of gain-of-function research in the U.S. He outsourced it to China. We know that because there are two published papers, by the way, from um, researchers at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, clearly describing gain-of-function research, and both papers specifically acknowledging funding from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And that is, of course, Dr. Fauci's, was Dr. Fauci's unit. Yeah, I mean, it, there is going to be a, uh, I think, another committee that will examine that as well. But you can't have enough committees looking into the origins of COVID-19. And in this case, going beyond that into what kind of research China is doing into biotechnology, into viruses, so on and so forth. I think it's very important that you brought that up. Again, we're talking with Gordon G. Chang. Follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, uh, when we look at the work of this committee, is there anything that you're worried about? I mean, how concerned are you that maybe they're not going to take this as seriously as they should, that it may end up just being more of let's talk about things and just get experts to come before us and inform us versus taking actions? Because I, I listening to Mike Gallagher, the congressman from Wisconsin, it really does seem like he's ready to actually take some proactive steps as opposed to just listening to the experts, as it were. Yeah, Gallagher has talked about the need for bipartisan support, and I understand that. And that, of course, requires time. Um, but we don't need more hearings. Um, there have been tons of hearings. As I mentioned, those two congressional bodies um, have studied China for decades. Um, so we don't need any more of that. What we do need is for Representative Gallagher to talk to people in you know, his caucus and the other caucus um, to hammer out legislation now, because it is really an issue of time. Um, there is just a lack of sense of urgency in the administration and a lack of sense of urgency in the Pentagon. And that is, I think, the critical failure uh, right now in terms of America's approach to China. You talk about a lack of a sense of urgency in the Biden administration. I mean, clearly the House now under Republican control in the majority is taking this very seriously. What is your assessment so far? We're now two years in, just about two full years into the Biden presidency. How do you view it? 
In terms of China, it hasn't been 100% awful, as it did appear to be in the first couple of weeks of the administration, where they reversed um, uh, things that the previous administration had done, which were good. So, for instance, um, the ban on TikTok and WeChat messaging, um, also the prohibition on buying electrical grid equipment from China. Um, that ban was reversed on the first day of in office. So it looked pretty grim. Uh, but since then, uh, the Biden administration's um, rules in October on chip making uh, and chips, that was an important step forward. The, the most important thing here is um, it has been a slow-moving uh, operation on China. And as I mentioned, time is a critical factor. Um, we are going to hear a lot about the Penn-Biden Center. Um, it has been known for a long time among China watchers that uh, China has been funding uh, the University of Pennsylvania, especially after the institution of the Penn-Biden Center. This is deeply troubling, and I think it uh, is something that um, the FBI certainly needs to look at because there are issues that have long preceded the revelations of the last week. We have seen the Chinese government, Chinese Communist Party, investing money in various universities and higher education in the United States, and you have students that come that are not just, you know, everyday Chinese, but oftentimes they are affiliated directly with the Chinese Communist Party, maybe children of CCP officials, etc. But when you're talking about the financial piece in particular of donations coming to universities and so forth, how widespread does this seem to be? And going back to the committee, is that an issue you think they should take up? Yes. Um, for instance, reporting requirements. We know that um, major universities receive billions of dollars and do not report them, despite the 1986 Education Act requirements. Um, in the Trump administration, when Betsy DeVos was Secretary of Education, um, she actually got uh, 12 institutions to finally report $6.5 billion dollars in contributions that should have been reported before. So there is, as her department said, pervasive noncompliance of existing rules. Um, and this is a law enforcement priority, uh, it should be, um, and uh, the committee can actually start to direct uh, uh, funding issues because the FBI's you know, funding comes from, starts at the House of Representatives. Um, these reporting requirements, as I said, need to be a reduced threshold. That $250,000 is much too high. And we know that China has been flooding, as you say, uh, universities with cash. Um, China is not the only offender. Saudi Arabia, Qatar um, are others. But nonetheless, China is the biggest problem. Just a few minutes left with our guest, Gordon G. Chang, author of the book, The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Uh the Japanese Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, was just in Washington, D.C. on Friday, visited the White House in one of the most significant diplomatic events of the year. Pretty significant, especially given the national security concerns we're talking about vis-a-vis -vis China. Talk to me a little bit about how you view that trip of the Japanese Prime Minister to the White House last week and the significance of the relationship between the United States and Japan, especially vis-a-vis -vis China. Yeah. I, I think the trip is actually tomorrow, um, uh, and it is extremely significant. That's right. That's right. It, it didn't just happen. It, it is happening tomorrow, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's very important for you to point that out, um, because nobody else is really talking about it. Um, 
Japan is, as they say, America's cornerstone ally in the region, which it certainly is. And in many ways, it could become America's most important ally, especially as China starts to move against neighbors. Um, Japan is has uh, Kushida has uh, early in December announced that the government will double defense spending from 1% of gross domestic product to 2% within five fiscal years. That's a good move. Also more important was Kushida uh, said that the United that Japan would no longer um, consider that counter-strike options would be off the table. In other words, they will start working with the United States in attacking attackers on their home territory. That's important because it allows a lot of joint planning with Japan that other, you know, up to now has not been possible. So Japan is moving in the right directions. It's trying to establish defense relationships with the UK, with Italy, with just everybody in sight because the Japanese can see what the Chinese are doing and they have a sense of urgency which we do not. Yeah, I mean, there is an urgency, especially when you are right there. I mean, you're in the thick of it, and you're the one that when missile tests have happened, you've been uh, in the line of sight and so forth. Uh, Japan and Taiwan both have been, have had very strong concerns over missile tests and other things going on directly in the region. So it makes sense that they have that urgency, and hopefully that will bring more urgency to the Biden administration when they have their meeting tomorrow. Real quickly, Gordon G. Chang, talk to me about South Korea and how things are looking with them, because you've written a book called Losing South Korea, a booklet that uh, Encounter Books published a few years ago, where the, we had talked in the past about concerns that South Korea may have been going weaker vis-a-vis uh, North Korea, vis-a-vis China. Where do you see them right now, particularly v- when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party? Yeah, I wrote that book when Moon Jae-in was president, who is basically pro-China, pro-North Korea, anti-U.S., deeply anti-U.S., um, fortunately, uh, Moon's candidate for the, his successor failed. The president of South Korea right now is Yoon suk Yeol, who is very pro-American. We're moving in the right direction. And by the way, um, Yoon is also in a panic about China. Um, and so I think that he's going to drop um, objections and start working with Japan very closely, despite historical uh, animosity, because he realizes You can't defend South Korea if Japan doesn't cooperate. We will be watching that with great interest and tomorrow's summit with Japanese Prime Minister Kishida and President Biden in Washington, D.C. at the White House. Gordon G. Chang, follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. It's always great to get your insights, my friend. Thanks so much, and we'll talk again very soon. Thank you, Jimmy. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Once again. He's the author of several books, including The Great U.S.-China Tech War. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, filling in for George Brockler. We'll pick up the conversation on the other side, top of the hour. Aurora Mayor Mike Kaufman will join us. So keep it right here. Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Where did the first hour go? Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler today. News Talk 710-KNUS. Three more hours up ahead, including top of the hour. Aurora Mayor Mike Kaufman will join us to explain his tie-breaking vote in favor of doing something you don't normally hear. 
happen in a big city like Aurora. The elimination of a tax, specifically the city council with Mayor Kaufman's tie-breaking vote on Monday, voted to repeal the occupational privilege tax in Aurora because it's such a privilege to work in Aurora. I know Denver's got a privilege tax as well. It's just a privilege to work in these cities. Kudos to the Aurora City Council for relieving tax burden on small businesses across the city of Aurora, the state's third largest city and a continuously fast-growing city at that. We will check in with Mayor Kaufman on this coming up at the top of the hour. Of course, he was a small business owner for quite some time himself and can speak to that perspective here on the program. Plus, Dave Kopel of the Independence Institute will break down that horribly unconstitutional bill that has just been proposed in the legislature regarding gun control. Truly extreme. I mean, astonishingly so. So that's coming up later on. And we'll also take your calls, 303-696-1971, with much to discuss. Just a quick comment on my conversation with Gordon G. Chang, who's one of my favorite guests going back years. He and I haven't always agreed. For example, we were on opposite ends of the China trade war during the Trump administration. But his insights are fascinating. They are learned. And he is always excellent at explaining his points and breaking things down. And especially when it comes to national security concerns is consistently on point. I think this select committee on China is extraordinarily important. And I agree with him that the work of the committee is very likely to be quite serious and to get some things actually done and that they need to get some things done as far as putting forward legislation for consideration by the full House of Representatives. So Gordon G. Cheng is right on that point, and we will see what happens moving forward. But big deal and a good first step. That the Republican-controlled House, with broad bipartisan support, has decided to put this together. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, filling in for George Brockler. Keep it right here. We've got three more hours up ahead on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.